So I want to start this episode off with a recent visit that I made to Calgary's Mission District. I was invited by one of the young cooks at Roy's Kitchen, shout out to Maddie from on Instagram, to try Billy's Smash Burger pop-up. And it happens every Monday night at Roy's Kitchen in Mission. What started as a Depression-era technique to stretch expensive ground beef through the addition of copious amounts of thinly sliced onions, smashed into a thin patty, evolved into one of the most popular ways to make a tasty burger. Whether you add onions or not, it's clear that thin patties maximize surface area for that delicious Maillard reaction to take place, creating optimum flavor potential. This is one of my favorite ways to make a burger, and I'm once again on a mission to find some of Calgary's best. So I was at Roy's Kitchen on a Monday night for his Billy's Smash Burger pop-up, a passion project of Chef Roy O. Billy's offers up a simple menu of his signature Oklahoma-style smash burgers made with local gemstone grass-fed beef and onions on a Martin's potato roll. Now what I love about this is that nothing is overcomplicated here. We have a nice high quality ingredients with nothing to hide behind. So we ordered the bacon was the case, a bacon cheeseburger with two strips of a bacon, American cheese, mayo, and ketchup. And the oh you fancy, huh? That's the name. A deluxe burger, which I opted for the double patty with button mushrooms, truffle mayo, white cheese, onions, pickles, and shreddice. I also added a crispy cheese skirt for extra shock and awe factor since I took my Crestor. So here we are with two burgers on opposite ends of the spectrum. One is simple and unassuming with basic additions, while the other boasting a couple of fancy touches that takes it to another level. So how did they fare? Instead of breaking them down, how each tasted on their own, let's take a look at the quality components and skill and how they can contribute to making a triumphant eating experience. Now, starting with the potato roll, it's toasted to a beautiful golden brown finish, which is essential when making a burger. Every bite of a burger, starting from the first two to the last, needs that textural contrast to make it interesting. And the simple act of toasting a bun makes the biggest difference. It also creates a bit of a moisture barrier for condiments so that it doesn't get soggy. The patties, like I mentioned at the beginning, are made using the popular smash technique, which makes best use of its surface area of the patty for that beloved caramelization, creating those wonderful savory flavors that we all love. I personally prefer having two thin patties cooked like this over one thick one. And don't get me wrong, like I've had really delicious thick patties, but this style takes another skill that's often botched, ending up in a dry overcooked burger. Now, the thin burger smash thing, that alone makes the bacon was the case one of the most notable burgers out there. Now, if we look at the other additions that make up the fancy one, the truffle mayo is a nice touch that adds a little bit of aromatic essence to the overall experience without being too gaudy. Truffle is one of those ingredients that can be abused, like Dracar Noir in a 90s dance club. But let's be clear that this isn't the case. It's really good. It's a good compliment to the white cheese, the onions, the tang of the pickles. I went one up on this burger and ordered a extra crispy cheese skirt. And I figured, why not? What I got was essentially a crispy cheese bowl, which acted as a capture vessel for all the accoutrements as I ate this behemoth of a burger. It was a creative way to make something delicious and functional 
I might add, as a burger with this much roughage, which often means compromising the structural integrity. And I'm getting technical about burgers here. But he didn't add the slice of tomato, which would have made a catastrophe. So thank you, Chef Roy, for the very tasty and satisfying burger. And if you want to go check it out, Billy's Smash Burgers is at Roy's Kitchen in Mission. And it only is on Monday nights. So go check it out. Special thanks to Maddie for recommending it to me. So before we go any deeper here, I want to introduce my next guest. He's a Toronto-born chef that made his way to Calgary seven years ago. And we met before at a restaurant called Foo Street Food back in 2017, I would say, in Mission. And then we met again in 2019 at a premiere for a movie called Ulam, in which we were both cooking food for the event. Now, in the Filipino community, he's been a solid representative of our culture, doing events like the Ulam premiere, live art nights at his restaurant Koi at the time, and his wildly popular pop-up concept, Flip the Dishes. He's a chef at Latin American-inspired restaurant Fortuna's Row, located by the downtown riverfront. My friend, Zach Ardena, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. <laughs> How are you, man? Oh, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Just uh, knee-deep in uh, uh, buyout Christmas season. Buyout Christmas time. season, yeah. So, yeah, I've been seeing that on your on Fortuna's reels there and stories that it is that season again, hey? Oh, yeah. Always a fun time. Yeah, perfect. So how do you find it, like, uh, the corporate business to be still super busy? Uh, yes and no. Uh, probably not as busy as compared to last year, but uh, we definitely have, are making some decent business, like, through the uh, corporate events and private dining events and that kind of stuff. Uh, we ha- we're doing at least, like, three or four, like, a week right now. So, yeah. Business is good. Business is good. <laughs> That's perfect. That's awesome, man. How's Miko? Oh, yeah. He's doing great. He's doing great. <laughs> Very cool. So today we are talking about pop-ups. Mm-hmm. And before I go into telling you how much I love pop-ups, I think I told you that at the beginning of the show, um, there's a lot of reasons why pop-ups are so awesome. And I brought Zach on the show because he is, of course, a master of pop-ups. And he loves pop-ups as much as I do. Did you do any in Toronto? Oh, yeah, yeah. I've done quite a few in Toronto as well. Yeah? Like Filipino-centric or kind of did you go everywhere with those? Um, we, it was a bit all over the place. Again, I was just trying to like figure out what I wanted to do as a chef. Uh, me and a couple of friends, we started something called Merienda. And uh, we were just trying to find random pop-ups here and there throughout downtown Toronto. It was a good time. It was a good time. It definitely like uh, was a great learning experience trying to figure out how to kind of prepare myself for pop ups and that kind of stuff. Yeah, because one of the defining characteristics of pop ups lies in that kind of um, unpredictability and that kind of diverseness that is, you know, um, you know, evident in the way they run, the places they run. You know, it's like super unpredictable. One hundred percent. So your group was called Marianda? Yeah, it was me and a couple of other guys in downtown, in Toronto, yeah. So that's the cool thing about it too, is like, it's almost akin to like when you used to have a band or if you had a band back when you were a teenager and stuff, 
right. in like a garage band and you like get together, you jam. It's the same idea. No, absolutely. Yeah. And you can like play gigs anywhere. And it's like kind of that whole punk rock sensibility <clears throat> or street food sensibility to running a pop-up. It's, it's always like in like weird, unpredictable, unpredictable places. And I mean, like, I know the longer you get into it, you can be, you know, in, you know, nice kitchens. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or when you're starting out or when you're just kind of doing, going by the seat of your pants, you, you find yourself in some really crazy places sometimes. Hey, like, have you found yourself oh, I... in some really weird places? Oh, absolutely. Uh, again, when we just doing stuff in Toronto, I remember us doing one in a tiny bar on Queen. I forget the name of the place, to be honest with you, but uh, it was very bare bones. And uh, honestly, they had maybe like two or three outlets, uh, a deep fryer and a hot plate. And uh, it, it was an interesting, uh, it was an interesting time trying to figure out how to kind of run our food out of there. I'll be honest, I'm not sure if it was exactly up to code, but uh, we tried. <laughs> And that's kind of one of the things that you have to consider is when you plan before you even plan your menu. And I think, you know, this is kind of what you learn with the experience is that, you know, before you start developing your menu and becoming all ambitious with how you're going to execute right, stuff, right, you right. got to look at the space. Oh, hundred percent. If there's one thing I, <laughs> I have learned is like, check out like where you're going to like operate out of and see what you can do out of it before you get too um, ambitious, as you said. Yeah, because, like, I mean, something as simple, like, say, if you wanted to say, you know, I want to do a ramen pop-up, that's great. Mm -hmm. And then you go to a place like, say, like Magpie, where we've, you know, and Magpie, of course, does not have a full kitchen. No. They have one, maybe two induction burners, if you're lucky. (laughs) They're, like, 1,800 watts at most. Yeah. You can't, you can't boil noodles with an 1800 watt induction oh goodness no (laughs) you can but you know it's going to be one person and then the next person will be like okay five minutes yeah it's a very delicate balance i remember trying to um trying to i I had both uh uh, burners uh, induction burners going and uh, if you set one a little too high the uh, breaker would cut out (laughs) And uh, so, like, when I was doing the steam buns, I had one pot boiling, but I'll be like, okay, once it's boiling, I'll get, I got to lower down the waters on this guy. And then I had a kind of steam table set up on the other one. And, again, you got to try to fiddle with it and make sure you don't um, kill the breaker. So it's kind of a it's, – it, it's a fun balancing act. I still have yet to do one out of that, that location, but, like, I mean, I've seen you – and of course, you know, I, I watch Jordan cook through out there all the time. And then I seen Case K do his stuff out of there. Oh yeah. He, he, he too is a, a pop-up master. I would he say. is <laughs> crazy. So, um, and I'll mention all of these people, of course, later. So of course your Calgary pop-up concept is called flip the dishes. That's right. <laughs> and can you share the inspiration behind that? Like, what made you want to start doing this kind of thing in Calgary? Uh, well, um, to be honest with you, uh, as a Filipino-Canadian, I grew up um, 
kind of struggling with my identity. This is a whole can of worms, sorry. But um, oh, I feel you. Growing up, like you know, you you struggle with your identity as a um, Filipino born in Canada, and uh, you don't know like how you're supposed to act or conduct yourselves. You know, your parents are just like, okay, you know, we want you to assimilate. You know, be the, Yes, assimilate, blend in, and try to be as successful as you can. And uh, I guess in their eyes, assimilation would probably be the easiest route to success. Yes. So, of course, they spoke English, and you're right. Exactly. So, again, I just grew up thinking, okay, I got to try to act and talk and uh, be as white as possible. (laughs) Were you like in Toronto proper or were you like in one of the suburbs? Oh, I love this question. Uh, I was in Toronto proper. Uh, I was born in uh, North York, like a very Filipino neighborhood along Bathurst Street. Ah. Uh, Bathurst and Finch, Bathurst and Wilson. Like Bathurst and Wilson is um, Little Manila unofficially. I don't know if it's officially, but we do hold a lot of Filipino festivals like in that area. Yeah. And you'll see like a ton of Filipino restaurants around that area, which is great. I was born in Etobicoke. <laughs> so borderline, I would say, right? And my cousins now, they all live in Mississauga. Good old saga. <laughs> so really, because this is an interesting subject because the Filipino-Canadian kind of story and I'm going to go into this with a nostalgia episode that we're going to be doing later on, which probably we should do with you as well. Oh, sick. I'd be so down. Yeah, because like in terms of like Filipino cuisine, you and me, since we're born in Canada, we have a different kind of lens of nostalgia when it comes to our food, as opposed oh, yeah, to people absolutely. who, of course, have been, you know, born and raised in the Philippines, right? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Because a lot of the scope of what we experienced as kids growing up, a lot of the food that we have was probably at home a lot of Mm -hmm. the times, right? So it was always kind of like what you grew up having, what you had when you were sick, what you had after school. And it's Mm -hmm. it's kind of limited because there is no dude walking down the street with Taho and there's, you know, there's none of that (laughs) shit. All of our stuff is very much like, suburban <laughs> or whatever right what we were raised with absolutely but it is still as dear to us as someone else's memory which is really special Absol- in that way it's just mm-hmm. different which is crazy what other challenges have you faced while running a pop-up Ooh, fun question um probably generating hype for it uh I've been lucky because I've made a lot of great friends and uh, they're a lot better than I am at spreading the word. So I don't think I've had a pop-up that's uh, that, that had a bad turnout, which is, I don't want to jinx it. So <laughs> Are a lot of yours basically like a la carte kind of things that people just show up? Yes, um, they're all a la carte. Uh, again, I just prep for a certain amount uh, and uh, hopefully I sell most of it. <laughs> I remember if we've done, yeah, we've done, yeah, we did a lot of that, like, in the beginning. Like, I remember when we, well, of course, I was going to mention, too, is that a lot of restaurant concepts begin with pop-ups. Like, mine, basically, yeah, it started exactly like that. We used to do, like, a, like, just bow pop-up, like you did. 
right, right, like right. you did at uh, Magpie. And then, mm-hmm. you know, it was like a weekly thing that we did at, at, a, at a farmer's market. And then we did like a kind of a fine dining collaboration I did with Darren back at his first restaurant at Downtown Food, which we did oh, for right a on. little while there, like right at the beginning before we even opened in Calgary. We did that. And it was just like, in a lot of reasons, and I'm getting to that now, is that, yeah, it's fun. It's spontaneous. But it also, you know, allows us to do kind of new things that we'd never, you know, thought about doing or just always wanted to try in terms of like, you know, dishes or concepts. Yeah. And then the first one that we did at Downtown Food was kind of like a fine dining meets night market, Asian night market kind of vibe. Mm -hmm. And we were just doing, we were just doing like stupid stuff. Like we... We did this like $35 congee. Dang. Yeah, and it had like duck prosciutto and and shaved foie gras on it and gold leaf. And we we did it as a joke just to see like if people would buy it. And people, yeah, they actually bought it. And I thought, oh, okay. (laughs) But that was the first time we did bao and the first time I made ramen. And it was like, it was a really good time. You learn a lot of things, (laughs) hey? Like, do you find right like on. do you do a lot of like experimentation in terms of of cuisine when you do a pop up? Uh, definitely. Uh, just when I started, like I had absolutely no idea what I was doing, and uh, again, hope like I, I I figured I'd stick to things that I knew how to do pretty well. So, I, I guess I'm kind of on the fence on that. Like I do, I do like a handful of uh, things I know that will sell. And then I do a handful of things that will be a little bit more on the experimented, uh, the experimental side. So like, uh, I remember doing one at back at shelter. Uh, I did a few bows, but then I did some other like crazy stuff like bok chang and stuff like that. Stuff that people aren't too familiar with. So do a lot of, do any of these techniques or kind of ideas make it into the restaurant? Either not necessarily the work um, with flip the dishes, but like konmi taco, for example. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, a lot of the stuff that um, we did back at konmi taco, which is something me and Miko started way back in the day. <laughs> that wow, that takes me back. Um, yeah, that def- uh, the stuff that, that we did at konmi taco definitely paved the way for uh, the menu over at uh, Fortuna's Row. Um, one of the Signature tacos, I guess you could say, we started with was a soft-shelled crab taco. And um, when we finally opened Fortuna's Row, like several years after, um, we used the soft-shelled crab as like the as part of the uh, arepa. Oh. And that was, yeah, which, is, which was pretty dope. <laughs> so, yeah, it translated from a taco to an arepa. I mean, it's not too far of a jump, uh, but it was definitely a, it was definitely dressed up a lot nicer. It definitely evolved from like a simple taco to a, a more nicer looking arepa. You guys recently did, I saw on Instagram, an A5 Wagyu arepa. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was dope. Looked insane because the piece that you basically put on that you posted was probably like $900 worth of Wagyu. <laughs> That was not a cheap uh, canapé. That much. <laughs> but how did they taste? Oh, it was divine. Um, so um, me and Miko kind of worked together on that one. Uh, I made we made um, uh, we made cheese arepas, 
like uh, you know creamy white cheese, uh, mixed it into the arepa dough, shaped them into the small little arepas, and then uh, we made a um, a wagyu tartare with a little charcoal mayo, and um, so we would toast the uh, arepas on the flat top, and then Miko would put the uh, tartare on top, and then he would finish it off by torching it, which was really dope. So it was just like on top of the arepa, like kind of like a tostada kind of thing? Exactly, like a tostada, a little bite-sized tostada. That's sick. Oh, yeah. And then finished off with some microgreens, and there you have it. Not the best for food costs, but definitely a hype dish. Crazy. That's kind of like one of the things like when you do pop-ups too is like I know you really have to be sensible in terms of watching the costs and things and like I mean I kind of I I go into these things with a sort of preconceived plan in my head of what things are going to cost or what they should cost at least right and then you kind of go in and then you get caught up in the moment and then everything is fun the music's going you're having drinks whatever the case may be and then like it's usually a point of wow yeah i had a lot of fun and you kind of hope that you're going to come out you know with more money than you started that's essentially (laughs) a lot of what it is and like i mean if you're trying to do this legitimately for a business i would recommend not going about it that way (laughs) oh no no absolutely not (laughs) but like i said a lot of of restaurants now, like including Fortuna's Row, were birthed from the ideas and concepts of pop-ups, right? No, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And how long did the Konmi Taco run for? Oh, geez. Uh, so I'm just trying to like remember how far back. Um, so it started as, again, it was just Miko and myself just doing pop-ups in our spare time while we both worked at uh, Blink Restaurant on Stephen Ave. And um, it uh, it was a hit. And then uh, every few, like, weeks or every every at least once a month, we would keep doing these pop-ups over at Shelter. And the owner, Nick, um, loved, our, loved our stuff. And then um, I believe, I think it was around COVID time that it happened. And that's when I started working at Koi. But they continued... Um, Doing the um, Konmi Taco, they continued operating out of shelter. But since uh, they couldn't do any bar service at shelter, I think they, I believe they were doing a whole takeout thing out of there. So it was, so it was a great symbiotic kind of deal with them. So th- you know they would use their the tiny kitchen to uh, uh, sell their stuff, and then um, they would help kind of pay the rent over at shelter, and. I think they kind of had a package deal like shelter, like since again, they couldn't do, um, they couldn't sell cocktails. They made like cocktail uh, pre-batches, I guess you could say like cocktail kits. And then I guess like the syrups and whatnot and whatever, um, herbs or whatever. And so like they would, so like they would sell these cocktail kits alongside. The obvious question is like, Oh, how did you survive? And it's you do whatever it takes. (laughs) A lot of restaurants are still, getting over it like it's not just the fact that if you can survive the initial you know two three years then you're okay it's not like that at all because you're dealing with the the financial kind of aftermath of that and that's why you're seeing a lot of places that are closing down now like three years after right oh yeah absolutely and that's that's another thing about covid is like we all had kind of had to learn to pivot in that way 
one of the positives that came from that was, you know, of course, it did change a lot of, of habits of the way people wanted to eat out or how people wanted to just, you know, eat. In terms of like it, it, like I made a lot of money for the apps, of course, which you know they're thieves. I'll say it now, <laughs> and but it really like made us rethink about how we did business. And like a lot of places, like all of a sudden we're doing groceries, and all of a sudden we're doing, you know, like we said, home kits and things like that. And we tried everything. Right. We did a ghost kitchen for a while as well. We did we so much kinds of things and like at the time there's like really no such thing as a stupid idea not when things are that bad there was a whole it was it was a whole hot mess like i you see a lot of uh, again like like a lot of restaurants got hit um financially and stuff like that and then there was there was a whole social political like gong show going on like depending on which stance you took it it, it could deeply affect your business right so there's that there's that as well so depending on where you stood in terms of covid like you could have like essentially shot yourself in the foot so and that's the thing though i think that's kind of how a lot of our pop-ups kind of got birthed because a lot of us wanted to continue conceiving cool ideas and new menu items and new concepts and stuff like that but i don't think we wanted to commit to having to like invest in a brick and mortar restaurant. And I think that is one of the best Mm. reasons to do them is because of the fact that your risk can be very much mitigated. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. While you test your, you know, concept to see if it's sound and whatnot. And I mean, I might do a hot take, but I mean, it's like, why doesn't every new restaurant or food business start like that? Because they didn't, I guess. I guess it's a lot of them don't have to, especially when they do have like a good financial backing. I suppose so. Even though with a good financial backing, you never know if your idea is going to be good or not. No, absolutely. <laughs> you you don't know until rather until than waste sells. half a million dollars or whatever it is that you put into a business. Why not, you know, test the waters? Exactly. Spend a few hundred bucks here and there. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like you mentioned uh, Shelter. Shelter is one of the places in Calgary that does offer a venue for Mm pop-ups. And they've been around for a while now, I'm guessing, yeah? Yep. And and you said they didn't have a bar? Or do they have a bar now? Uh, As in, they're doing bar service, rather? Yeah, do they? Oh, yeah, no, no, they are, yeah. Okay, perfect. So basically, it is a an all-in-one kind of venue to do your concepts, right? Yeah. Well, like, usually, like, we'll do, you know, you take care of the food and they already have their cocktail program going, so. What did, what's usually the deal there? Like, do you just apply and then? I believe it was, like, I've done this a few times and uh, at first I think they took a cut of the sales or um, they, you keep all of your sales and you don't uh, take any tips. I think that was the original uh, deal. And then they would take a small fee just kind of for um, electricity, water, and that kind of stuff. Got it. Okay. And that was usually the case. Uh, over at Magpie, I, I had a different deal. It was just um, I brought the crowd in. So it was just I keep all of my sales, but uh, any any gratuities and stuff like that it was all theirs. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, they were pretty chill there. 
and I'm really like looking forward to doing something over there. But I'm looking forward to you doing something over there. When, how did your last one go there? Oh, it was great. Um, the only thing was I, we were getting absolutely slammed uh, for the first two or three hours. Oh. Uh, oh, yeah. I was running around like crazy. And uh, um, after that, after like maybe the third three or four hour, three three or four hours, it just completely died. <laughs> but you sold a lot of your stuff in that first few Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I met, I made a, pretty much the same amount as the last time I did, I, I did uh, a pop up in there, and I didn't, I didn't prep enough, I would say, and I sold out pretty quickly the last time I was in there. So, I prepped a little bit more, so, um, I more or less made the same amount, which is great. And that's the thing, though. Like, that's another like thing you got to consider when you're doing pop ups is, uh, okay, how much should I prepare and how much. Uh, you know, should I be ready for like you got to kind of think how much how many people will be will be coming to these things? And it is helpful if you've done one before to kind of get a, a feeling of how that you know the flow works as well. Exactly, just kind of gauge how the flow is going to be and uh, how busy it's going to get. Like what what days you should be like running these things. Yeah, exactly. It's fun to test the waters, right? Yeah. <laughs> One example of like, say, uh, of poor planning probably came with the time I met you, which was at the Ulam premiere. <laughs> right. Oh, my goodness. That was interesting. And I think that was the time when I was like, I need to meet that guy because like you were the one who was there who was kind of like directing people where everyone was going. And I thought, yeah, it just kind of. Yeah, the whole responsibility just kind of dropped into my lap. I was just like, okay, I'm going to go in there and make some cannolis, you know, smile at everybody and call it a night. And then all of a sudden, like, Zach, we need your help, like, kind of organizing and kind of corralling everybody. I'm just like, okay, what am I doing here? Oh, God. Like, <laughs> yeah, so it was a matter then, of like going, okay, let's, let's do this. Let's figure out what right. we can do, where we can set up, where we can't set up. Like, I know it was at, uh, it was at Theater Junction. Right, right. At the time, it was still Kenny Cacelli's restaurant. Ah, uh, Kenny, right, Chef Kenny. And now, yeah, he's at Kama now, Kama. Mm-hmm, that's right, in District, yes. In District. But at the time, yeah, he was running that uh, theater junction there, and the space itself right. was a beautiful space, and it was, like, oh, yeah. divided into, like, two or three different kind of areas. And I think the first mm-hmm. place that we picked they didn't want us to be in that place and we didn't know because we had no idea where they wanted us or where we were supposed to be setting up. That's right. And like, yeah, we were in some weird reception area, like separated from the actual theater. And I thought, I guess they wanted us to kind of have like a mix and mingle kind of thing going on in the reception room. If I recall correctly. And then they're just like, no, we don't want you there. Actually, we're just going to move you somewhere else. And so yeah, I and then so it became what like... it became. But I mean, it, it worked out and we just kind of worked with it. And <laughs> and that's. No, yeah, I just kind of went with the flow. Absolutely. And, and it turned out well. And then I remember after that, you came to help me at one of my pop ups for the Kamayan Club. That's right. Yes, out of um, Crossroads. Yeah. Okay, we did this huge table, 
right. Yeah, I remember we did a few of those. That was fun. Oh, yeah. I love, like, my endings. It's just a lot of fun. I want to do and more. just seeing, like... <laughs> A new another pop-up concept? Is, is yeah, definitely. Thinking? Another I want to oh, do another Filipino know, pop-up concept. Yeah. Oh, I'm totally down for if you're going to do Kamayan Club again, well, I am so down. <laughs> we just need the the Can we do it at at uh shelter? Um, I don't know. The space might be a little tight, especially if you want to do a nice big um, a long table. Uh, a long table, it might be a little bit tight in there. We could also do, yeah, I don't know. Now we could probably do crossroads again, but then I don't have a kitchen there anymore, so it's tough. Right. I don't know. We'll, huh. we'll make it happen. <laughs> we'll make it happen. Maybe maybe we could do something at Fortuna's. We'll see. I, 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 hey, I know there the you owner. <laughs> I know the owner. Maybe you can convince him to do something cool out of there. Can you imagine? Oh, that'd be awesome. Yeah. That'd be pretty prime. How do you create? Now you mentioned about having that kind of hype that you wanted to to generate for your for your events. How mm-hmm. do you create a unique or memorable dining experience when you're working with such a limited time event? Ooh, um, well, personally, I was lucky. Again, I have a great community behind me, and. Um, well, like for one, um, when I was doing the pop-ups out of Koi, we already had a really good community backing us there. So again, like with some friends, I conceived the whole like, let's do, we'll do music, we'll do food, it'll be a whole wicked party. So like we 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 managed to get a good pull from everybody involved. So I was lucky in that sense. So, you know, we got people who are coming to see the music and then we got some friends who wanted to try some food. And then um, we also had the artists uh, who uh, came in and they had their crowd come in. And so, like, it, it, it I would say, like, it, you would have to – it's good to collaborate with, like, the community and make a lot of friends and work together, I guess. Now, of course, there's going to be a lot of people – who are aspiring to venture into either a food business or want to do something like this, what kind of advice would you give to aspiring chefs or entrepreneurs? Hmm. Um, uh, don't dive right in. <laughs> I would say test the waters. Uh, it's a very, um, it's a very spicy business. Um, you see, I've seen a lot of restaurants like, be built and fall in the, within the span of a year. Um, I would say, like, it, the whole, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day. Slowly build up that kind of brand. Uh, learn what works best and what you do best and um, kind of hone that to... Uh, I think really... that entrepreneurship is one of those things that can show you in the shortest amount of time what you're lacking. I'm not trying to put this into nice words because, you know, entrepreneurship is not pretty. Oh, it's not. And I mean, if you have skills that you definitely don't have, this is definitely going to show you that in a very short time. I don't know. I feel like you kind of have to go through that, the, the growing pains. Um, I don't think there's, I don't think there's um, a shortcut to success. It's, you kind of, kind of slowly, have to 
go through all of that and experience the down the uh, the hardships of it all and by experiencing the down and um sorry the hardships of it like it's easier to uh enjoy the success of it and um learn from your mistakes yeah definitely well obvious and uh like there's there's a ton of um, other guys who've uh, who've done this before, so it's it's really important to be able to um, talk to people who've done this before and kind of learn from what they've experienced as well. I guess. I think in in being in a business that is this difficult to navigate, it's surprising, or maybe surprising to someone who's new that there are a lot of people that you can ask and that'll be happy to share that kind of knowledge with you. Definitely. Oh, absolutely. Like, uh, especially the restaurant community, we love seeing new concepts and stuff like that. It just means we get to try new foods and new experiences and that kind of stuff. I mean, and that's like the whole reason why we got into this business. Can you share a specific dish or technique that you've recently discovered? For me, I guess the, just, um, doing a lot of deep research and going into the um, history of the Philippines and going pre-colonization type stuff. Um, I've been doing a lot of reading and I've um, came across, a, a, I forget the name, Peranakan cuisine. Am I pronouncing that correctly? Well, anyways, it's uh, kind of the Chinese Thai um uh, history of the Philippines, kind of how the Philippines was originally a hub for a lot of uh, cultures, the Chinese, the Thai, the Indian. I'm sure you you know all about that. Um, and um, there was a lot of cool concepts that were there behind. Like you could see it in Malay cuisine and the neighboring co- uh, countries. And um, I've gotten to be to be almost obsessed with that side of uh filipino cuisine and so uh when i conceived the bak chang i thought you know let's look into the ingredients that were involved in that kind of stuff and so it's like uh one ingredient in particular you see the what what's it called um the butterfly flower the blue the blue one uh and so uh it's blue when you uh dye it and stuff but when you add a um add an acidic uh, element to it, it turns purple, which is really, really dope. And yeah, so um, at my last uh, pop-up, I did a kind of a kinilao, like a kind of a ceviche using this blue flower. So um, when you use it and mix in like the lime juice, like kinilao, we use lime juice or calamansi. And so I made kind of a... uh, um uh okay and this is leaning into the the spanish part of it or uh, the latin cuisine that uh working with miku all this time i made a leche de tigre using uh fish stock um lime juice cilantro and then like introducing this duck anchan or beef flour into it and the color was absolutely amazing it was like a purple it had a purple color to it and so um when I presented the dish to uh, 
people they were just absolutely blown away and i'm just like wow i can't believe i actually managed to conceive this this is really cool yeah <laughs> like a purple ceviche more or less and, and it's, it's not it ube. was insane <laughs> and it's not ube <laughs> Are you I sick think of all of us have like ube fatigue at this point. So I know, yes. So, given the significant presence of Filipinos in Alberta, or I would say in just Canada in general, how do you think food, the food landscapes, changed or been influenced by this diverse community? Like, do you think it has had an impact? Like, I'm seeing a lot of we're seeing more like Filipino restaurants now. Definitely. But do you think it's at a point where we can still be blowing up? Oh, no, absolutely. Um, I don't think we're, we've ha- we're that big on the uh, Calgary food scene just yet, but you can see it in different, in, in uh, other cities like LA, Vegas, yes. like t- Toronto for sure. Um, like, we do have restaurants here in Calgary, but like until I see something in the downtown core, like modern, like cooler concepts instead of the more traditional takes, then still, we'll... it's still very much in the, like the, the early stage, like Turo Turo's and, you know, exactly. just like the basic stuff, right? Like the Maxes right. and the Max, the Adobo, the, the Lumpias, the, <laughs> the Jollibee's. There's no one really taking it that step further to modernize or to reinterpret or to reinvent in in, in that case. Not Which, absolutely. yeah, I think we have a lot of well, and that just it doesn't mark really like that we're still low on this ladder. It just kind of no. says like, hey, there's a lot of opportunity to to grow and to evolve in this city. No, absolutely. Like I'd love to see a like contemporary Filipino restaurant in the downtown core. That would be absolutely dope. So, in your experience, how does the act of sharing Filipino culture through food, through your pop-ups and concepts, contribute to building connections in this community? Do you find that is different than the work you did in Toronto? Um, well, for me, like sharing that kind of stuff was an opportunity for me to kind of get back into my roots like and uh connect with the uh, filipino community here i uh, to be honest with you i wasn't really familiar with the community back in toronto so again that's at that point i was still kind of struggling with my filipino identity being here kind of helped me get in touch with the uh filipino uh my filipino roots um it all started when um, uh, a pastry chef friend of mine who worked at a hotel arts, him and another friend, Ellie and um, Jose. <laughs> sorry, Jose. I'm sorry. Um, like we were taught, we, we were just like, okay, we all work in fine dining and we want to um, do something really cool in terms of Filipino food. So we did this, um, food events, I guess you could say a pop-up. Myself, uh, Rupert Garcia, Jose, and Ellie. Um, we did this out of Oxbow, and uh, that was Jose. Where it oh yeah. Yes. Yeah, he was at the premiere yeah. too. That's right. Yeah, and, we were on the uh, chef we panel. Were, that's right. We were snacking on. Um, <laughs> we were snacking on. Um, yes, the lechon head. Lechon in the back. <laughs> 
That was a great dinner. So they had a they they brought a who is it? Pacific had brought a, a whole lechon to the premiere, right. and basically they chopped it all up for for all of the guests, mm-hmm. and it was a you and me and Jose. We took the head and then brought it to our seat for the movie. <laughs> oh my god! Forget popcorn. I'm a... <laughs> I think I still have pictures from that night. <laughs> Yeah, that was a great night. Well, yeah, that was definitely that was definitely my uh, start in kind of connecting with the Filipino community for sure. It was through Ellie and uh, Jose and Rupert and doing this um, event. It was called Bali Cultura, which is uh, a very poetic kind of way of me being finding a way to connect back to my roots and. Um, just kind of falling in love with Filipino cuisine again. I think for a lot of us who are in that situation, reconnecting is often something that we do in our adult years. And I think it's mainly because we're so busy as young, you know, kids and growing up to assimilate into this Canadian culture that we just don't have the time or do the effort to, to, you know, do anything that's distinctly Filipino. Like, of course, we're raised in, we've been to all of the the cookouts and all of the, you know, the celebrations and things like that. So we have an idea oh. of kind of that sort of area of being Filipino. Yeah, uh, yeah the fam jams, 100%. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yet coming to grips with, say, like, you know, you know, learning Tagalog again or something is like always, these are the kinds of things we take on later on in life. Mm-hmm. And I don't know whether it is, whether if you were, I don't know if you were a kid or at, at, at the time too, and then you just had a kind of low, low sort of, you know, view of what being a Filipino was, you know? And I think in a lot of those senses, like they call it internal colonization is what they call it. Right. Right. Where you right. have this sort of deep, deep hardwired resentment for your own culture and that you think you're I inferior for yeah. some reason. Right. Mm-hmm. Like I remember. I've definitely been, like gone through that myself. Yeah. And it is, um, yeah, it, it, it's, it takes a long time to kind of, work through and that's another reason why i say like it's a lot of of us who have been getting in touch with our culture again are doing it as adults now and i know yeah i think that i don't know i think that there's a lot of you know good things that have come from getting in touch with your culture again and then you know as long as you avoid the kind of criticisms or the haters that that you know there's always someone who'll tell you you're not filipino enough Oh, absolutely. I've I've had those criticisms like when I was making Filipino food. I made a beef steak like on a grill. Yeah. Like uh, grilled it medium rare, and uh, I've had a few clients who are very Filipino say my food wasn't quite Filipino enough. Because well, it wasn't cooked well done, or what? It wasn't cooked well done. <laughs> I served them a medium rare steak. Um, I marinated it with you know the typical adobo. Um, seasonings and stuff and uh re- i rehashed it a little bit I won't. but all in all it was the same stuff just a little just with a little bit of a different technique 
and they're just like they're just ah, oh, it's not quite Filipino enough. And that's the thing that it's not quite the traditional ways of of doing it. And that's another oh, I could go I could go on about that the idea of traditional versus fusion. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. We have a lot of ideas for shows coming up, including, you know, what is authenticity? What does it mean? Right? Oh, that's and a deep dive for sure. Yeah. Nostal- nostalgia and authenticity often go hand in hand. And mm-hmm, Absolutely. I mean, before I start even talking about that, because that's going to be another show for sure, definitely. Because mm-hmm. there's a lot that you got to unpack with that kind of stuff, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a whole can of worms. Uh, are you ready for some quick fire questions, Zach Ardena? Let's do it. Okay. So, quick fire questions. Uh, favorite place to eat alone? Uh, First Street Market. First Street Market? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so it's not as intimidating if you're to go there inside there alone, since it's kind of like have a, has a mall food court kind of vibe. Okay. Oh. And, uh, okay, you're talking about the food hall, right? That's right. Where's your favorite spot at First Street? Oh, Saffron Street, easily. Uh, my homie uh, runs it. And what is your go-to dish? Oh. um... I always get the um, butter chicken tolly or the dosa. Oh, dosa. Yeah, they make some really good Indian food there. All right. Best burger in YYC. Oof, controversial. Um, it is. I'm going to say Billy's. Really? I'm going to say Billy's. Okay. Yeah. And you said which one is the best one, did you say? Which burger? Yeah. Or... Do you like um just the just the the two patty one? Uh, I forget what he calls it. Do you like the cheese skirt? Uh, oh yeah, yeah. I'll do the two patties with the cheese skirt. That's what I did last time. Oh my god, that sh- that was unreal. I got the one with the truffle mayo. Yeah. It was delicious. I remember <laughs> doing that. I did do a glizzy and I got fries and a root beer float. Oh yes, that's the one where you're eating the glizzy over the fries. That's right. <laughs> no shame here. Workout, like no, no, no. no. <laughs> I love, to, I love to eat. Okay. I may, have, I may have had an edible too. Whoops. Yes. Oh, definitely. That's a, like a great I mean, night out. I think. Oh yeah, and and you can't really find anything really good to go to on a Monday. So yeah, and it's like an industry. It's like our Saturday, and it's. I don't know. There's something I, I, I love about those industry days off because oh, no yeah. one shares that day except if you're, you know, obviously in industry. Yeah. And you get to go to your favorite spots without having to worry about it being too busy or anything like that. And I was recommended to eat there by one of the cooks there who had Uh-oh. met me on Instagram. Her name's Maddie. Maddie, shout out. Thank you. Um, yeah, so she she said, yeah, you could come to Billy's. And, of course, the day I, I went to visit, she got cut. So she's like, yeah, I'm just sitting <laughs> at the bar now. <laughs> okay. But it, it was good. It was good. It was a good experience. <laughs> okay, you ready for the other one? Okay, let's go. Favorite bowl of noodles that's not ramen? 
My favorite bullet journalist is not ramen. Um, who? Um, uh, does fuck count? Yeah, of course. Fa easily. Um, before work, over at Fortuna's Row, me and Miko go to um, Fo Hawaii. It's in Chinatown. It's kind of tucked into that uh, into that mall. Yes. Is it the one on the end by the bun mi shop? Yes. So, like, you know, it's sandwiched between the two bun mi shops. You have the one in the front, and then you have um, the one in the back that always has a lineup. Yes. So, inside that mall, yeah. We're talking about the mall that used to have Moose and Poncho, right? Yes, that's exactly it. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. I know the one. <laughs> yeah, I think pho is probably my favorite bowl that is not... Uh, ramen as well okay now you were just alluding to my next question because you said you and miko like to go to eat that pho before service what is your favorite late night eat after a long night of service i might know the answer i might know the answer (laughs) (laughs) you mean the only answer i've probably i've probably seen this so many times on your instagram you and me yes that is right is it? Is it you and me? Right? Night spot. <laughs> um. Yeah. Like uh, when we were like s- starting, and uh, and uh, we were closing, we'd go there without fail, almost at least once a week. Yeah, I think yeah. Near the beginning, when you guys were just getting started there, that was the place. Like almost every night. Oh yeah, because we'd be spending at least like twelve, thirteen hours there. Uh, at Fortuna's when it was just starting very long days. So by the time we got out, of, got out of there, we were starving and more often than not, we'd be like you and me, it's literally steps from our restaurant. So we're just like, okay, let's do it. And just so people know, like listeners know, like when you work at a restaurant, we rarely eat our own food. <laughs> no. Like you might, you know, test, you know, taste something once in a while, but we never like would, sit and you know unless someone's making family meal or whatever but mm-hmm. we would never eat our own food common like every day kind of thing um so my next question since you mentioned you is you and me is name three of your must-have picks for dim sum must have picks for dim sum uh shrimp hagao uh shiomai for sure and um the rice noodle rolls. Ooh, okay. Rice noodle. Shrimp rice noodle rolls. Yeah, chung fun. They all have shrimp in it. Yeah, chung fun. That, that's the one. Not a all shrimp for me, eh? I was I was wondering if you were going to pick chicken feet. Oh, that's a that's a that, that's an honorable mention for me. <laughs> <laughs> Where is your favorite place to have uh, dim sum? Other you know, other than the late night. Uh. Probably Silver Dragon. Oh, Silver Dragon. Yeah, probably Silver Dragon. Have you been to um, Have you been to Golden Sands yet? No, I have not. That one. Where, where is that exactly? I, I feel like I'm still a tourist in the city. That's near, actually, near where I live. It is on Center. Is it Center Street and Sixty Fourth? I believe. Okay, that's. Quite some ways away, I'm assuming that. Yeah, it is. It is. It is. But they have, like, really good chefs out there. 
I think when they were hyping it, when they opened, it was like, oh, these chefs are from Vancouver, so they must know how to make dim sum. But they do solid ones. A lot, you can tell they do in-house because they're different. Like the presentations are different. Like they make their, you know, some of the stuff, it looks different than the, the things you get at, you know, normal other dim sum restaurants. Because, you know, a lot of them just get their stuff frozen from somewhere. Because, I mean, oh, yeah. it, it's a skill, man. Like, if you're a chef for dim sum, oh, you, yeah. you you went to school for that shit. <clears throat> and the fact that, I don't know, like, people on Facebook who, who uh, on the boards will talk about, you know, the best dim sum spots. And then they'll always, they'll always bitch about how it's not cheap. You know, this place isn't cheap, man. It's expensive. And Golden Sands is expensive and overpriced. Like, fuck, they make their own stuff in-house. That's right. Like, How would you compare the skill of someone making dim sum, like all of those different shapes and folds and, you know, all of those, you know, comp- they're all like complex foods, right? How would you like... Yeah. Like, how could you, like, say that's different from, like, say, someone like a chef who's making omakase or, you know, a fine dining guy with his tweezers doing something? Like, how could you say that's at all anything different or that one should be so much cheaper than another? Like, <laughs> No, I, I don't think that's fair, especially if, like, you've been spending years upon years, like, being able to make these these dumplings. You're paying for the experience. It's also like, I, I don't want to go into the, this is another deep dive, but it's also just kind of, um, how do I say this? Um, Were you going to say How racist? people perceive different cultures, I guess. Yes. I was going to say that. I was going to say the R word. I was going to say the R word. You totally yeah. say it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was kind of skirting it, but yeah, it's a, it's a bit racism. It's a bit of racism. Uh they expect the, the you know certain cultures food to be cheap and dirty like how how often do you hear about chinese food being cheap dirty and greasy like which i think is not and fair we even haven't we haven't even like started uh, even talking about the msg thing either oh jeez again that that is a racist concept in itself as well yeah i get people still that come into the restaurant and they'll ask my my front of house if we add msg to the food and i'm like what (laughs) and i'm i say that like straight up i'm just like what did she just ask did she really just ask that but it still happens man it still happens (laughs) oh god speaking of msg next quick fire question what is your favorite instant noodle hack Ooh, uh, Shin Ramyun. Shin Ramyun. I was, that is Spicy one of my favorites. Shin if I was going to pick two that I could have for the rest of my life, it'd be Shin Ramyun and what's that other one? Um, the Mi Goreng. Indomie? Ah, Indomie, yes. That is, I wholeheartedly agree. I've... What is your, when you get, you're going to make a, a Shin Ramyun at home, what are you going to put in it? Oh, I'm pretty basic. Egg, tofu, green onion. Yes. Egg, tofu, green onion. 
Yeah, I would say thanks. That's perfect. Spam? Are you laying off the... Oh, yeah. If I'm feeling baller? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Spam's not cheap anymore, man. No. It wasn't ever cheap. Uh, it wasn't ever really cheap, but sometimes it still does go on sale. I used to buy Spam, like, obviously every week when we did mm-hmm. Eats of Asia because that was, like, one of our most popular sellers. Right. It was the Spam Asubi. I think I should do that. Speaking of pop-ups, yeah, we should just do a Masubi pop-up. Can you imagine? Oh, yeah, totally. What that, or even just like an internet, one of those internet-only deals. I'll just make 100 <laughs> Masubi, and then you pick it up. DM yeah, me. Just and DM I'll, us how many you want. Yeah. Slide to our DMs, see how many you want. That's it. That's what we'll do. Huh. Bam. By the way, have you tried the... Um, the uh, vegetarian spam? Oh, the one that was all uh, hyped up on T- uh, TNT or Seafood City. Yeah. Yeah. It was like it was making this round on the, on uh, on TikTok Reels and uh, I think it was from Seafood City. And... Yeah. I did hear about it, but I haven't had it. But you know what I have had and what we do have at, the, at Dan's? We have Omni Pork. Oh, right. And if you haven't had Omnipork, it is probably the best kind of uh, plant-based pork product that you can get. Ooh. It only comes frozen because it, it, it's, a, it's a paste, right? Like it's a thick paste. And if you mm-hmm. try working with it fod, like raw, like we make langanisa with it. And right. when you try to work with it, when it's when it's thawed, it's really super sticky and it's hard to work with. So you gotta really oh. kind of get the gist of how to do it. And you cook it from frozen. So oh, I was gonna say, yeah. Do you cook it from frozen? Okay, cool. Yeah. So they sell it in either like one pound, you know, blocks of the paste, or they'll mm-hmm. sell it in preformed slices, like a spam slice. Right. And when you fry it up, okay. it totally tastes like spam like it's like the closest thing i've ever had to spam in it being plant-based neat i'm gonna definitely have to try that maybe throw into a bow next time at magpie or something yes ah there's a great idea mm-hmm. or make uh like i made pad krapow with it too it's oh so good like it's Ooh. crazy taiwanese fried chicken or chicken karaage Ooh. I'm going to give it to Taiwanese fried chicken. Oh, okay. Yeah. Please don't kill me, Japanese friends. But um, it, um, I remember my first experience with... Sorry? There's just more complexity to the Taiwanese fried chicken. Yeah, it's, it's the five spice for me. and It's um, the five spice? It's, I think, the, the, yeah. the, the finish they use. Because it has a little more texture variation than just simple dredging. Right. Um, I, I, I remember my first experience with Taiwanese fried chicken. It was the big, um, they had the whole big um, chicken breast where they pound it out thin and it's just a massive piece of chicken. Oh, yeah. the Yeah, I know the one you're talking about. Mm. That's uh, yummy. Oh, it was really good. At the first time I had it, I didn't know the bone was in the middle. Oh. I ate it too fast and definitely almost choked on a chicken bone. That's like when you have the the Macau 
pork chop sandwich. Mm-hmm. They usually, yeah, it's a bonian pork chop. <laughs> Lesson learned. Lesson learned, indeed. So, Zach, thank you for being on the podcast. It was awesome to have you. Mm-hmm. Oh, thanks for having me again. And if anyone can find you on Instagram, you're, uh, you're at... Uh, yeah, my personal Instagram, which I'm more active on, is uh, Zacariel, uh, Z-A-C-A-R-I-E-L underscore. Okay, and then the, the pop-up is flip.the.dishes. Dot dishes, yeah. And of course, if anyone wants to see you in your native habitat... Go visit <laughs> Fortuna's Row. Yes. Yes, definitely come visit Fortuna's Row. The space is absolutely lovely. The food is top notch, and uh, the drinks are impeccable. <laughs> oh yeah, we have a wicked uh, cocktail program there too. So, special thanks to Chef Zach Ardena of Fortuna's Row for being with me today. And of course, you can find the links to all the spots we talked about in the show notes. If you enjoyed this show, please rate and review, share with your friends, and help support us by making a donation or buying some merch. The Masubi teas are available in the shop and are the perfect gift for that discerning foodie in your life with the holidays coming up. Thanks for listening. My name is Jade El Coro, and you've been listening to the Aimless Cook Podcast. Peace. Mm-hmm.